laying awake at night, worried about something that's happening next, worried about something tomorrow, worried about a project that's going poorly. Has this ever been you? There's two types of insomnia, onset insomnia where you can't fall asleep, maintenance insomnia where you wake up in the middle of the night and then you can't get back to sleep. I have maintenance insomnia. I fall asleep instantly, drive my way insane. I wake up at 2 a.m., can't get back to sleep, thinking about the project tomorrow, thinking about the thing that's behind, thinking about why I'm in trouble, why I'm failing, why I'm not doing well. By the way, this is me. I'm Chief Operating Officer at Seaspring. We're a data consulting company. I'm a keynote speaker, 25-year executive leader. I spent 15 over 15 years in the CIO seat, and then all the rest of that stuff. But that we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about this. We're here to talk about you. Is this you? So, what's the agenda? First, I'm gonna to try to prove to you that there really is a problem. Then I'm gonna offer three exercises that might help. The first one is called the worst case scenario. The second one is called the lookout. And the third one is called the Superman. Sound fun? All right, let's dive right in. The problem. You guys ever seen these memes? I love them. Expectations versus reality. What do you actually get? Expectations versus reality. How about this one? You go on vacation and there's what you're expecting and then there's what that, the reality of your vacation is. How about this? First day of school. I love about you, but my snowman's all, snowman always looked like the one on the right. I could never make a good looking snowman. How about today? What's your expectation for today? Is that the plan on top? And then it's the bottom what today is going to actually look like? I'm right, aren't I? So I decided to take a little play off of this and write some job descriptions based on expectations versus reality. What's the written job description versus the actual job description? So my daughter worked at Kroger, so I had to, I had to include this one, which is cashier. Just write grocery is seeking a cashier to smile and greet customers, scan their items, collect payment, right? That's the job description. What did my daughter actually do every day? Get yelled at by customers because there aren't enough lanes open. Get asked by customers why there aren't more employees on staff. Get asked by customers to process coupons that don't even apply to their order. Just take the money off. I have a coupon. I know that's not the thing I'm buying, but just take it off. <laughs> right? That's the reality. Okay, optometrist. I have a close friend who's an optometrist, so I had to pick on him. Acme Optometry seeks an optometrist who will heal the blind and help small children who were failing in school. That's what you go, that's what you sign up to be an optometrist for, right? Actual job description for an optometrist. One or two, <laughs> three or four, better or worse. All right, that was for my friend. Okay, student, Purdue University is seeking students who want to learn amazing things while having fun, party all night with friends, and receive daily Venmo payments from their parents so they can have a great lifestyle, right? What's the actual job description of a student? 7.30 classes, hang, I mean, headaches, back-to-back -back classes on the other side of campus. You guys have those? Finals week, no Venmo because you're getting to see one of your classes so your parents cut you off. And then of course nightmares. Do you guys have, did you guys have the nightmare where you show up to the final and then you realize that you hadn't attended the class the entire semester and so you were gonna have to wing it? I, I still have that nightmare like 25 plus years later. Okay, so written job description for an IT leader. ABC company is CEA and you know where I'm going with this so feel free to laugh out loud. Strategic thinking that will act with full autonomy to lead the company into a new digital age. IT leader that will sit at the executive table and drive revenue by utilizing the cutting edge of technology. 
team player who will be supported by all their colleagues and trusted to protect the company from unnecessary operational costs and cybersecurity threats. Right? That's the written job description. That's what we sign up for as IT leaders. We're going to go in and we're going to make things happen. Right? Okay, what's the actual job description of an IT leader? Follow along with me. I see you all smiling. So you implement Agile because you're not getting stuff done fast enough. And by the time you write the thing to the specs, that's not what they wanted anyway. So you implement Agile and you iterate and you get stuff done faster. Everything's going great. Only to be told, no, really you just implemented Agile because you don't want to give out dates for when stuff's going to get done. You don't want to code to a spec. You don't really want to meet the requirements. You really, and you're trying to save money on budget. And so you don't want to have employee VAs. That's really why you implemented Agile, right? That's what you're told. So then as an IT leader, you build a roadmap. We're, you're told we need a strategic roadmap. So you build a three-year roadmap or a five-year roadmap and you work through it all, you get it all approved and it's finally rolled out to the, uh, the whole company and five minutes after it's rolled out to the whole company, you're told don't do any of that stuff. All business priorities have changed. Of course, you're a good IT leader, so you actually built it to the business priorities, not to just IT techie priorities. You actually said, what are we trying to accomplish strategically as a company? And you built this amazing roadmap and then you're told, no, everything changed. Thus far, our earnings were down. We're going to go a completely different direction. And so you completely change everything. And then six months later, somebody in a board meeting dusts off the roadmap from six months ago and says, why aren't we right here where you said we would be six months ago? <laughs> Sound familiar? Okay. You hold tabletop DR exercises. And you sit there as an IT leader and you're talking through your team. Okay, what happens if this outage happens, this data corruption event, this cyber attack? And you're talking through it all. In the back of your mind as the IT leader, you're thinking, what if none of this is right at all? What if what happens is nothing like what we're experimenting with? And you know, the military, they built an Osama bin Laden recreation of his compound to practice it, right? But when I asked for budget just to do some basic DR exercises, but I need some extra servers over here or this or that, my budget's cut. So we have to just sit here and draw on a whiteboard. That's my entire budget for DR exercises, right? Plus I don't have Expedient as my backup data center, so I'm terrified, yeah. right? That's scary, that's scary stuff, because it never is. It never is anything like the table top exercise. Oh, and don't forget about do not disturb. You're the master of do not disturb as an IT leader because you need to get some sleep. But then you have 17 people on your favorites so they can break through, because you have to know if something is going down, it has gone down or there's an issue. So not, not to mention all the ITSM tools like PagerDuty and stuff that's all allowed to break through your do not disturb. I mean, it's your job to be woken up at 2 a.m. and notified that something horrible is happening. That's the IT leader job, right? Oh, and then there is the 2 a.m. call where the thing actually happens. And you, you have two Zoom calls going at once. You've got the one call that's the war room. And you're trying to talk to your team about what they're finding. And you've got the other call that's the executive briefing Zoom call. And your job is, as the IT leader is to keep them briefed on everything that's going on. And they're asking you, do you have a workaround in place yet? And then you ask the war, your war room, and they say, we're trying to find root cause. What do you mean do you have a workaround? They really got root cause yet. So then you mute them and then you go back to the executive team briefing and you unmute and you say, okay, we're still trying to get root cause. And they say, root, you don't have root cause yet? It's been 17 minutes. How do you not have root cause yet? And then ultimately, somebody has to be held accountable when something bad happens, right? I mean, you're the CIO, you're the VP of IT, you're the leader. We got to tell the board that we did something about it. So... Sorry, too bad, you're out. That's stressful. 
This book changed my life. It's called The Wolf and CIO's Clothing. It's a Machiavellian strategy for successful IT leadership. It's a Gartner consultant who wrote it. And I'm actually not a Machiavellian follower. I'm not a follower of Machiavelli. I fashion myself a servant leader. So I'm not saying this book is like everything that I agree with, but man, does it challenge your thinking. And sometimes it's really great to read books, kind of challenge your thinking, isn't it? And she tells a great story about how IT leaders, in her experience, tend to be data-driven folks, and that's part of how they end up in IT. And so one of their hallmarks is transparency and being willing to share data. And so she tells a story about how IT leaders will, when they're confronted with a problem, with a, when somebody's kind of coming after them, their answer is always just respond with data. And, and she shares this story, how many times does it happen that you share all the data about a problem and then it works. Uh, I, used to, I used to be terrible at this. A CFO would come and say, oh, you're just doing uh, agile because you, you don't wanna share how, you know, how, many, how much work the IT team is really doing. So you, you make up these story points, Fibonacci, all this garbage. So that we, it's all just a big mask and smokescreen, right? And so what did I do? I said, oh, great, I'll just share my uh, DevOps with you. You can go see my board. You can go see, you can come to a spread planning session. You can see it all and thinking I'd be completely transparent. And she shares in this story, how often has that happened and a CFO goes, oh, fantastic, you shared everything with me and now I implicitly trust you to do your job. I'm never gonna talk to you again, I'm gonna leave you alone. She says it never happened in her experience, she's never had an IT leader. What happens is they just take all that data and find some reason to say, see your velocity was way off like four months ago during this one sprint and I don't remember you talking about that so you must not be transparent, something like that. So ultimately, I think the IT leader job description could be summarized in this one picture. It's to sit there and be stressed out. It's to sit there and be worried, to wonder what's gonna to happen tomorrow. Am I gonna be in trouble for this project going yellow or red? Is, is there gonna be an outage? Is there gonna be a breach? Whatever it is, this is kind of our job description, isn't it? Stress is the physical, mental, or emotional strain or tension. Worry is to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts. Have you ever worried? Anxiety is distress or uneasiness of mind caused by fear or of danger or misfortune. And that leads us to fear. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger, evil, pain, etc. Whether the threat is real or imagined, the feeling or condition of being afraid. Okay, real quick, I do want to say I'm not talking about grief and depression this morning. If you've suffered a loss of a loved one, if you are suffering from depression, that is a very real thing and you should seek help for that. I am not a licensed psychologist or a psychiatrist. So I'm talking today about just the stresses and worries of everyday life. So I just want to be clear about that. But in general, are people more or less anxious? I mean, study after study, I took out a bunch of slides for time. But, I mean, since the iPhone came out, stress. Since Facebook came out, stress. Since Instagram, stress. Internet, stress. I mean, there's just so many charts for people about stress and anxiety. We are so much more stressed out and anxious than we used to be. These are people's greatest fears, according to a study. Anything look familiar on that list to you? Or... <laughs> You're in public speaking. It's terrifying. All right. Have I established there's a problem? Good. 
Everybody agrees there's a problem. Okay, let's try three exercises. The first one, the worst case scenario. Before I get into the worst case scenario, I wanna ask you a question. What is your identity? Doug sort of asked that this morning. What is your identity? Who are you at your core? Is it this? Is it just your slide of like accomplishments? Is that who you are? Is it your LinkedIn profile? Does that define you? Are you your LinkedIn profile or your number of followers? What about your core values? These are my personal core values. If you've never written down your personal core, I mean, your work has core values. Every company has core values. Have you ever thought about what your core values are? You should think about that sometime and write them down. These are mine. But these are still not what defines me. These are how I go through life. These are how I engage with the world is through my core values. You engage through, with the world through your core values, but they're not who you are. So I'm going to ask it again. What is your identity? And this time I'm going to ask a different question. Just this basic question. Are you valuable? Having considerable monetary worth costing or bringing a high price. Having qualities worthy of respect, admiration, or esteem. Of considerable use, service, or importance. Are you any of those three things? I think every person in this room is all three of those things. At your very core, you are a valuable human being. You have inherent value. And if you have inherent value, then guess what? All the anxieties that get in the way should be put in check. What are those anxieties? The imposter syndrome and anxious thinking. Anxious thinking. Imposter syndrome, feeling that you're on the verge of being exposed as a fraud. It's very common in high achieving individuals. <laughs> Actually, CEO's biggest fear, above death, they're more afraid that they're gonna walk in and be told by the board of directors, we've figured out that you're a complete fraud and you don't know what you're doing, you're fired. That's a higher fear than death for CEOs. That was an Inc. Magazine study that they did on imposter syndrome. Pretty amazing. What about anxious thinking? What do you worry about? My job, I could lose my job, it's not prestigious, I don't help people enough. There's lots of anxious thinking that kicks into our brains, isn't there? So how do we combat that? This exercise, the worst case scenario, and probably everybody's heard of this, but the idea is you just think through, if one of those terrible things happens, what's the worst case scenario? For me, my entire career was losing my job. I truly believed in my heart of hearts that if I ever lost my job, this would be me within 24 hours. I mean, if you asked me point blank, I wouldn't tell you that, but, but the way I behaved was as if I believed I would be on the street, my wife would abandon me, my kids would abandon me, my church friends would abandon me, everybody I knew would abandon me. I mean, I, I lived with that level of fear of losing my job. And then this past winter, I lost my job. Wow, that was super humbling, super terrifying. But guess what didn't happen? That's not a picture of me, thankfully. I did not end up on the street. There's a book that I read and I feel bad that I can't quote the person or, or reference the person because I can't remember what book it was at. But they said they count the number of couches they can sleep on at any given time if the worst happens and they lose everything. What's your couch count? It's probably a lot higher than your natural instinct is when you think about like not being able to pay your bills. You probably know somebody would let you sleep on their couch if you lost your house or your, your livelihood and you're probably not gonna get there. So that's the worst case scenario. 
takeaways from that exercise. Where do you struggle with imposter syndrome or anxious thinking? And take time today, ideally with someone you trust, and honestly work out the worst case scenario if this fear really comes true. You'd be surprised how encouraging it is to think through. It's not as bad as you think. It's really not. Okay, so we addressed the problem, or we defined the problem. We talked about the worst case scenario. Next exercise is called the overlook. Have you ever gone to one of these scenic overlooks and you see a mountain range or the ocean or Grand Canyon or something amazing and it just puts things in perspective? You just realize, wow, there are some things in this life that are really important and then there are some things in this life that probably aren't as important as I think they are. That is the goal of this exercise, the overlook. So to help us with that exercise, to give us that perspective, we're gonna look at a study of 15, the 15 main things that people think about and say when they're in their final, final moments of life. And that's gonna help us have that overlook, that perspective. So let's dive right in. One of 15, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Will that be you? Are you somebody who can't turn off work, can't stop working? I wish I had laughed things off more often. That's a good one. Do you, do you hold grudges easily? Are you easily offended? When you're laying in your final moments, will you be that person that says, I'm so glad I held that grudge against that guy that fired me for 20 years and it ate away at me and I'm so glad that I never let that go. No, you're gonna, you're gonna say, wow, I wish I had just laughed things off more often, just let stuff go, and I just wasn't so easily offended. How about I wish I enjoyed more of the foods I loved? Maybe that'll be you, I don't know. I, everybody's different, but pretty much everybody falls into one of these 15 categories or has a few, a few that they can really identify with. Maybe you're the person that never had the office birthday cake, and then you'll be the one saying, man, I could have had some more pieces of cake in my life. I don't know. I wish I hadn't wasted my time trying so hard for people that didn't matter. Oh, that's an arrow straight to my heart. I have spent so much time trying to please and make happy people that I should not have been even giving a second thought to. That's a tough one. I wish I had not been so attached to my phone. That's big. Whole books written on this, At Your Best, Deep Work, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Phenomenal books, all talking about this very subject. We are, we are attached to our phones. I wish I had taken more risks or lived more on the edge, a little on the edge. Maybe it's that business that needed to be started or the, uh, the person you needed to pursue a relationship with, whatever it is. Is that gonna be you? I wish I had stood up to the bullies, the meanies, the baddies, and the gossips. Wow, that's a fantastic one. If you've ever read any of Lynchoni's books, that's a theme through all of his books. If you're a leader, get these people out of your organization. Take ownership of getting these people out of your organization. If you're not a leader or these are your peers, work through it with your team. Figure out how to manage this and don't be a part of it. 
Mike talked about that with culture, right? Don't hire these people. And if you could get up, if you have them, get them out of your organization. And if you're one of the people that likes to hang with these people and talk the negative and oh, the management, they don't know what they're doing. They're just, you know, they're just buffoons. Don't, don't play it. You'll regret it. Wish I'd made a difference. That's a pretty general one. Wish I hadn't spent so much time worrying about things I couldn't control. It's kind of what this conversation is about, I think. Wish I had traveled more. Maybe you need to go see Yosemite. A lot of people have that regret later in their life that they didn't travel enough. I wish I had pursued the career I really wanted. Hope nobody here is feeling like they're in like a dead end job or, or miserable. If you are, do something about it. I wish I had taken better care of my health. Now you're thinking, wait a minute. Earlier, I wish I had eaten more of the foods I loved. Pretty, isn't, isn't this a contradiction? Actually, in the study, this is not about that, about foods. And, and uh, this is about going to the doctor's appointment. They wish they had followed the doctor's advice when they found out that they needed to go back for a follow-up, that they had gone to their annual physical, that they had done their $49 heart scan, that they had taken care of their health in that way is what this is talking about. So is that gonna be you? Are you gonna be that person that's stubborn and won't go to the doctor ever? And then at the end of your life, you're gonna say, wow, if I had just followed my doctor's advice or gone and, and done what I needed to do, I might be feeling better right now. I wish I had been more present. I see everybody looking at me, that's awesome. Huge, I'm huge on this. Be present. If you're in a meeting, you either should be in the meeting and therefore be present, or you shouldn't be in the meeting, so don't attend the meeting. But don't multitask. Multitasking is a myth. We've all read books on that. We know multitasking is a myth. I wish I had seen my own worth. That's deep. That kind of goes back to the last one about being valuable. Like you are a valuable human being inherently. So you have worth. So you don't have to worry about the externalities of this life. And lastly, I wish I had realized how much I already had. We have so much, don't we? And we tend to focus on what we don't have. If only I had this and I only had that. Okay, so which one stood out to you? On the back table here, not for now, but for as you're leaving, on the corner of the table is a stack of papers. Just grab one on your way out. It's a survey. So you actually can go through each one of these 15 and you circle on a scale of one to 10, how likely am I to feel this way in my final moments of life? And then you just stack rank it on the far right. So you can see, you know, if you have, you might have three tens, so then that's three number ones, but you could just stack rank it. So you can grab one of these on your way out. So that's the overlook, getting perspective. <laughs> Time check. You're well. Okay. Takeaways. What is one real world issue causing you anxiety right now? And take at least five minutes today alone or out loud with someone you trust and apply the overlook to that issue. Put whatever it is today, like I've got a meeting at one o'clock today to talk to my boss because this project just went yellow and I have to explain myself and you're freaked out about it. And I want you to just take five minutes before that meeting and apply the overlook and just say to yourself, okay, in the grand scheme of things, and all, I mean, all these final moments are said and done, does it really matter how this meeting goes at one o'clock about this yellow project? And then take the survey that I left on the table back there and then say to yourself, what are you gonna change immediately? 
because of your highest scoring items. Okay, we talked about the problem, we talked about the worst case scenario, we talked about the overlook. You guys wanna do one more? Sure. <laughs> oh, that was enthusiastic. Wow, the, the Superman. Okay, I'm gonna read you a fable. It's really short, I promise, it's not very long. Once there was a man who owned a donkey. The man made his living transporting goods from town to town. Goods carried on the donkey's back. He was, he was a difficult master, never happy with the donkey's progress. Despite how hard she worked, he would frequently overload insult and beat her when he was angry. He complained constantly about the donkey's failings. Despite the harsh treatment, the donkey was a magnificent creature. Her ears were long and pointed. Her neck was straight, as was her back. The perfect architecture for carrying food, supplies, and anything else you would ever need. She was sure-footed, even in the mud. The donkey's eyes, mane, and tail were a luxuriant brown. She was loyal, hardworking, and tenacious, especially when the going got tough. She never complained. She was an excellent donkey. One day at the entrance to a town, the donkey stumbled over a rock on the road. The man took his st stick and began to beat the donkey without mercy. Angry, he cursed her for the mistake and continued to beat her until she regained her balance. By now, a crowd had gathered. One of the men in the crowd called to the donkey's owner. What's wrong with you? Why are you beating that poor animal? All she did was stumble on a rock. The owner, incensed, called back. Mind your own business. This stupid animal made me look bad, he snarled. Who will buy my goods after such an embarrassing entrance into town? The man and the donkey disappeared into the marketplace. A year later, the man and the donkey returned to the town. The man was even angrier than last year. He, he, his curses could be heard by the townspeople long before he and the donkey could be seen. A large crowd was gathering at the village gates, straining to see what could be causing such a commotion. Finally, the man and the donkey came into view. The poor donkey had changed dramatically. The luster was gone from her mane and coat. Her eyes were dull and bloodshot. Her back was bowed and her gait listless. The man was beating her with a stick, denouncing her shortcomings. Well, some things hadn't changed. Again, someone in the crowd had called to the man. Why do you beat that poor animal? Can't you see, said the man, the donkey is useless. Look at it, it's ugly and slow. Who will buy goods from a man with a donkey as ugly and useless as this one? Like before, the man and the donkey disappeared into the marketplace. In the third year, the harsh master and the donkey appeared at the gate to the town. Things had gone from bad to worse. The donkey's sweet face had been turned into an angry scowl. She was mangy, emaciated, and covered in scars. Where the donkey had been calm and sure-footed before, she was now nervous and tentative on her feet. She attempted to bite and kick her master whenever he came into range. The man beat her with a longer stick, afraid to come close to the animal. See, he called to anyone who would listen, this is a dangerous animal. I must protect myself and all of you from her outbursts. The man and the angry donkey went into town to sell their wares. In the fourth year, the man appeared at the market. He was gray, disheveled, and shrunken. He limped along on feet, bloodied from his walk. Behind him, he pulled a heavy car. As in past, a crowd gathered to view the poor fellow. Someone seemed to recognize him from the previous visits. Hey, aren't you the man with the donkey? Where is your animal? How come you aren't traveling with her? The man dropped the heavy cart down, raising a clod of dust from the road. That useless donkey, he began. She up and died. Stupid animal. She ruined me. Now I have to pull this heavy cart from town to town. It's killing me. Maybe you should have thought about that before you beat your donkey, says a woman with disdain. Those gathered gave each other knowing looks. Maybe you should mind your own business, said the man with a cry. You don't know what I've been through. He picked up the heavy cart and pulled it into the marketplace with all his remaining strength. So the harsh master is clearly the villain in this story. And the, 
the beautiful, capable donkey is the victim. But this fable is actually about the two sides of the self. self. You are the beautiful, capable donkey carrying all of the wares. And the harsh critic is, harsh master is your inner critic telling you nothing is ever good enough and beating you no matter what you do. You stumble on a rock, you messed up a project, you did this thing, you didn't follow through on that other thing that you forgot about. You're a loser, you're a failure, and that's what that inner critic is telling you all the time. And then to make matters worse, this is even covered in the fable, that when people come alongside you, like the townspeople, and say, no, it's okay, you're good, and they try to support you, your inner critic lashes out at them and says, they're lying to you. They don't, they don't actually like you. They don't actually approve of what you're doing. They're not really your friend. They just want to sell you something. That is the victimhood that we can fall to with our own inner critic. And that's the fable of the harsh master. Self-respect, proper esteem or regard for the dignity of one's character. That's what this fable is about. I wish I had seen my own worth. That was number 14. Remember that? So here's the Superman. Studies have been done across the entire globe, all cultures, when people are down on themselves, when they're upset with themselves, when they have that inner critic, they do this with their body. They close themselves off and they come in like this. Doesn't matter what culture you're from, country, anything. Across the globe, we as human beings do this when we are down on ourselves. What do we do when we're proud of ourselves? This, we cheer, we open up our bodies. Scientific, studied, every culture. Nobody varies across the globe. Every culture does this. We open ourselves up to what we as human beings do. And so then further studies have been done that show that when we force ourselves into these open positions, even when we are down on ourselves, it actually changes our brain chemistry. It rewires our brain and we actually start to feel more self-confident and less critical of ourselves when we do this. Public speaking coaches have been teaching this for years. It's called the Superman. And they say, when you go to give a public presentation, you go in the bathroom or somewhere private and you just stand at the Superman for 30 seconds or a minute. <laughs> you guys would be amazed at how much self-confidence. It really is true. It absolutely is true. It looks hilarious, but you it changes your brain chemistry. And you don't have to do Superman. You can do this, literally just stand out in the sun like this on a bad day when you're working from home and you walk out in your backyard and you just do this for a minute. You would be shocked at how much it does for you. So that's the Superman. So takeaways for the Superman. What is one area of your life where you struggle with self-regard? Pick one person to tell about this struggle. What are you going to change, do, or think differently now that you've identified this? And then lastly, go in a private room and practice the Superman for 30 seconds while thinking about that struggle. You will walk out of that bathroom a different person. It sounds crazy. All right, I'm almost done. One final takeaway. I truly care about each and every one of you in this room. You are valuable human beings. And so if you struggle with this, or if this is something that you're dealing with, I would love to hear your story. Hit me up, let's go grab coffee. Uh, you might be thinking this isn't, can't be true, this guy can't be this touchy-feely. Yes, if you know me well, I really am this touchy-feely. I really would love to hear your story and meet you.
I know I'm not selling anything. I'm not a professional coach. Jeff Dobson's in the back. He's a professional coach. He would love to help you with that. But I would just be meeting you for coffee. I'm just here to learn your story and hear about your struggle with this because I've certainly struggled with it. We all have. I would love to help you with that. And I think I have some, this is all my footnotes. Doug can send out the slides and then that's me. Thank you all very much. Thank you.